Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning into SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, and now on YouTube. Today, we're here to talk about the Knicks and R.J. Barrett and the leap that he possibly has taken this year that could put him in some promising company as we look for at least one silver lining in this mostly abysmal New York Knicks season despite the three-game winning streak and some inspired efforts out of this Knicks team. Let's pinpoint something truly positive and talk about that. Of course, we'll also react to the Nets and Sixers and that first game, not back for Ben Simmons as he wasn't on the court playing, but he was in the arena. The Sixers fans granted him the loving booze that you expected, uh, but that did not go in the Sixers' way after those booze pregame. We'll talk about the Nets. We'll talk about the Sixers and how that matchup can look out going forward. And then... uh, you know, we're not going to get into the whole football thing with Russell, Wells, Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz. We're not going to deep dive into baseball yet, even though we are excited that it is back and that Steve Cohen is on Twitter again and that Max Scherzer is a Met and that the Yankees might go get Freddie Freeman, right? These things are all exciting. We're going to deep dive that a little bit more next week. And we also have March Madness knocking at the door. It's tournament week this week. It's been a lot of exciting college basketball And I'm excited for next week. We're going to have on two special guests. One of them you know well. One of them you might know a little bit to talk college hoops. And it's going to be great fun as we do approach tournament time. So first, with that being said, before we get into some of our other topics, let's hear from a word from our friends from DraftKings. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbooks. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. And you don't have to be a fan of this team. You just might have to bet on the team you know is going to win. You know why? Because new customers can bet just $5 on any college basketball team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do that. It's that simple. If they win, you win. No spreads, just win, and so do you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round? Who will hit the most three-pointers? And track your results and win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any College Hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, so let's talk about the Nets and this Sixers game real quick, man, because it was exciting to start, but let's be honest, it was embarrassing for the Philadelphia 76ers, right? So the biggest win that the Sixers got on Thursday night was before the tip-off when they got to boo Ben Simmons and be like, oh, we hate you, boo, like you stink. And then when they were down 30, they can go, boo, Ben Simmons, we still hate you, don't worry. Like, we may be losing, but we still hate you. Right? Like, all that stuff happened. It was a tough look for the Sixers tonight. Um, I don't know on the court if that's a true test, a testament of that team right now. I'm not going to go there. We're going to break down a little bit of what I saw from the net side of things, even though they're playing without Ben Simmons. 
and what we see from the Sixers side of things. Because realistically, this is not the end of this conversation, but because that game was so anticipated and, you know, the competitiveness of it lasted for a little while, even though it was like a 20-point game at halftime, there, there are some things to take out of this. And I want to start with the net side of things because that was shocking. That was a shocking display of dominant basketball out of the Brooklyn Nets, a team that has been truly struggling and getting crushed of late. They turned it around recently with a couple wins. Kevin Durant comes back. Oh, well, what do you know? Kevin Durant comes back, and they start winning some more games. So I'm not shocked by that, but I was shocked by the manner in which they dominated this game. So this was the biggest test they've had as a core. Sands Ben Simmons, obviously, but with KD Kyrie, Seth Curry Drummond, and they're still missing, missing Joe Harris, but Bruce Brown was out there. Patty Mills was out there. Nick Claxton acts to do a little more in this game because Drummond got twisted up and was in foul trouble. Um, but this was that that game for them to kind of come together and play a real team and also have a little extra motivation, right? So all the juice seemed to be on the side of the Philadelphia 76ers. The fans were going nuts. Julius Irving rang the bell uh, before the game, and the, and the Nets just came out and dominated, and they played defense. They played serious, serious defense, and I want to say that it was kind of led by Kyrie Irving. This guy was getting in James Harden's chest. He was helping out on double teams when he was supposed to. He was playing attached defense at all times. I was really impressed with what I saw out of Kyrie on the defensive end. I mean, offensively, I've never not been impressed by Kyrie Irving, right? So the offensive side of things makes sense. Kevin Durant is that dude. He's that dude. I don't know how else to say it. He will make any team extraordinarily competitive every single time he plays basketball. It's who he is. It's what he does as a scorer, as a playmaker, every single night. Every single night. And you think about who was going up against him, a guy like Joel Embiid and even James Harden as well. Two guys who have gotten MVP love and buzz over the past couple of years. Joel Embiid obviously getting a ton of it right now. But Kevin Durant's the trump card. It doesn't matter if Embiid is having a by far and away better season and a healthier season and that Nikola Jokic is doing just insanely incredible things over in Denver and Giannis and DeMar DeRozan and John Morant. It's Kevin Durant. That's the trump card. Domination every time he steps on the court. Scores at every level at will, no matter what he's doing, no matter who's guarding him, it doesn't matter. So to all the Nets fans out there, and many of you I've talked to over the past couple weeks where you were miserable about James Harden moping around and not helping you win. Then he leaves. Kevin Durant's hurt. You're losing a lot. Kyrie's in. He saves you for one game against the Bucks, but then it's a home game, so he can't play, right? Like, it sucked for you Nets fans. But it's important to remember that you have Kevin Durant and that when he gets on the court, he's the best one. He may not be the MVP this year, and I'm not sure he particularly cares about that. He's the best freaking player in the league. And if he's if he's healthy, you're a finals contender. That's it. If Kevin Durant is healthy, the Nets are a true finals contender. And you add in what you saw against Philadelphia here today, Patty Mills grinding on defense, getting in passing lanes. Seth Curry played off the charts. Maybe a little extra juice playing against his father-in-law, playing against his old team playing against a crowd who 
was so happy about a trade to get rid of Ben Simmons that they forgot they were so upset about losing Seth Curry. A little extra juice for Seth, right? Worked out pretty damn well. Shot the lights out. Played great defense. Facilitated a little bit. Man. I mean, that's missing a guy like Joe Harris, who is a knockdown shooter, even though he fell apart in the playoffs last year. This dude, Seth, he's about the next best thing. He may not be able to defend like Joe Harris, but he can shoot like Joe Harris. He can move off the ball like Joe Harris, and he might just be better in the clutch than Joe Harris because we know what happened, right? That's serious. Andre Drummond, not a big fan, personally. Not. Don't think he's that good. But guess what? When you pull him in on a vet minimum to get rebounds and bother people by the rim, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Right? <laughs> like Patty Bills, he's pretty good. When he's playing next to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, he's getting a pass lane, he's being pesty, shooting the lights out. Nick Claxton, as a backup big, you like him. When he asks him to play 30 minutes a game, you might see some of those flaws a little more often. Right? But this all comes together with a healthy Kevin Durant. And I don't care if they're the 8th seed, the 7th seed, the 6th seed, doesn't matter. I am scared as if I got to play against them if my team's got to play against Kevin Durant in the first round and Kyrie Irving, who's playing realistically some of the best basketball he has over the past three, four seasons. It's just been every, you know, seven days or whatever it's been. They're good. And with Ben Simmons coming back for the Brooklyn Nets, man, oh, oh, wow. They can be a serious, serious finals contender today, and they can be even more serious when a all-NBA elite playmaker in transition comes back to their team who's not asked to touch the ball or even look at it late in the game because they got two killers. Yeah, that's how I'm feeling about the Brooklyn Nets right now. So if you're a Nets fan, you've been nervous, you got your flowers tonight, you could enjoy the win over the Sixers. I don't think this is the end of these two teams going head-to-head, and that's okay because we deserve this. We deserve it so much as NBA fans and sports fans to see the powers like Joel Embiid and Kevin Durant go at it. It's exciting. James Harden, if he's playing to uh, his superstar level, to see them go at it, to see Kyrie play in high-pressure situations is extraordinary. So, Nets fans, listen, I get it. You've been frustrated. You've been down and out. I've been trying to tell you to just wait for Kevin Durant. He's back, and you're feeling good. And that's where we are. On the Sixers front, however, not feeling so good after this win here, are you? Yeah, so we know what happened when James Harden first came to town and they crushed the Timberwolves and he looks great against the Knicks and the Knicks again and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Y'all are really good. Y'all are really, really good. But something occurred to me watching this game specifically, and it should have occurred to me sooner, when the the uh, Knicks and Sixers played the second time of their back-to-back and Joel Embiid took like 32 free throws or something like that, like it was ridiculous. I don't know why it didn't occur to me sooner. Joel Embiid is just a giant James Harden. They're, they are the same. They are one. Unable to get a team over the hump in the playoffs? Sounds like James Harden. Oh, my God. Sounds like Joel Embiid over the past couple of years. Second round and out again? Always looking for fouls. Yeah, that sounds like James Harden. Hmm. Sounds like Joel Embiid. 
of being a very willing and able passer, but gets tied up in iso ball and just playing one-on-one and trying to do a whole lot yourself. Yeah, no, it's James Harden. Wait a minute. That's also Joel Embiid, is it not? Because guess what happens with Joel Embiid when you're a Sixers fan and you're watching this game and you're saying, yo, this guy can't be stopped. No one can guard him. He's at the free throw line again. Everybody has to foul him because they can't guard him. It's over. Someone stop this man. He's the MVP. Book it. You know what happens in the final couple minutes of games. We know what happens in the playoffs. The whistles don't blow quite as much as they do during the regular season, during quarters one, two, and three. And now all of a sudden, that ticky-tack foul or that average to slightly below average foul doesn't get called. And now he's taking a contested fadeaway jumper because he thought his arm got touched. Now he's taking a side-fading floating layup because he thought he got fouled. We've seen it with James Harden over and over and over again in the playoffs. He doesn't get the foul calls that he gets all regular season, and all of a sudden he goes 2 for 11 in a big playoff game. Now, Joel Embiid, let's be fair, has put up some serious numbers and some serious performances in the playoffs. He has. He deserves that credit. Hasn't quite got over the hump. And it comes down to, can Joel Embiid be the true closer of a finals contending team. It may look great in quarters one, two, and three to throw them down in the post and say, Joe, come on, go get one. Go get to the line. You're good. Let's go. All right, two shots for free throws. And then in the fourth quarter, does it work out like that? Can you get to the line? Are they going to blow those same whistles? I don't know, man. And that's why they need each other. And that's why they need Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey. And it's a little scary to say that you need Tobias Harris, but it's true. They need that. They need some cohesiveness. And I heard Danny Green on Ryan Rosillo's podcast, and what he said surprised him most about now being James Harden teammate is two things. One is his work ethic. And that's something I've been talking about for years with James Harden, is that people think he's just a partier. Now, he's a partier perhaps, but he also works his ass off. And he's in crazy shape. And up until last year, was never hurt. Never hurt. This whole injury-prone thing about James Harden is not fair, and it's very new. He was never hurt. My dude was playing 82 games often. 80 games, whatever. 79, 81. That's what he did. And he scored 30 a night for a couple years in a row, right? So that was number one, Danny Green said. I felt like I knew that already. Number two was he was impressed and shocked by his basketball IQ and how much of a hoop guy, a hoop head that James Harden is, how much he understands about offense and movement and passing and defense. That's the shocking part, right? Because what do you think of when you hear of James Harden's name? When you when you try to picture what he's doing, you're thinking of through the legs, through the legs, through the legs, through the legs, step back, poop, or step back, heavy, go, floater, lob, right, pass. That's what you think of with James Harden. But Danny Green's explaining how he sees cutters and he sees the offense and he's not just an ISO guy. He doesn't want to play ISO. He wants to play pick and roll. And you got to hope that that want from James Harden turns into them running successful pick and rolls in crunch time and throughout four quarters of basketball games and in the playoffs. Because I'm not calling Joel Embiid a choker. It's not what he is. 
where James Harden has been labeled that, and I don't think it's all unfair. I think it's only mostly on. No, it's it's not really unfair. It's a maybe only a touch unfair, right? And that's even coming from me, the big James Harden defender. But they need to be able to do more than James Harden ISO at the top and Joel Embiid post up from the elbow or from the the block. That can't be the answer when it's tight. That can't be the answer when Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and Seth Curry combine for 50 in the first quarter. <laughs> or the first uh, first quarter and a half, maybe, to be more specific here. Right? Like, that can't be the answer all the time. It's great to have those skills, but that's not it. It's not it. And their pick and roll looked stellar in the first handful of games with James Harden and Joel Embiid back. Where was it tonight? Didn't happen. Didn't feel like it was even an option. It was Joel Embiid going to the line. He took 13 free throws in the first quarter. They were down 17 in the first quarter. James Harden was like 2 of 11 to start the game, 2 of 13 or something like that. Finally hit a couple more shots, and then it was over before they could even get going in the second half. So I'm not worried. I'm not hitting a panic button about the Sixers because I think there's just time for them to work things out and to get Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris engaged and bought in. Maxey's been great since the trade, right? But also, the one thing that does worry me is the shooting around it. Maxey's a good shooter. Harris is not bad. Niang's their best three-point shooter. But what does that sentence even mean? George Niang is your best three-point shooter. You lose out on Seth Curry. Like, that's huge for spacing. And Furkan Korkmaz, if he can't be one of those other dudes to knock down jumpers consistently, you're looking at a team led by two stars who thrive with spacing, who don't have a ton of it, right? So whether it's Tobias or Furkan or Niang going crazy or Maxi continuing to grow, those guys need to perform to allow Harden and Embiid to do what they do. But even with that being said, it's on those two guys to make sure the teammates making it happen, making it happen. And that's the thing about being a team. Kevin Durant and Kyrie's one-on-one style play when they need to is slightly different than those two of uh, the two of James Harden and Embiid. It's more horizontal, switched into uh, north-south. Like they can really get sideways and get get outside and get inside and then get north south and then finish over you, shoot faders and get like crazy stuff going on, right? Like we don't have to explain what Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to do to get one-on-one buckets. We know what James Harden likes to do. We know what Joel Embiid likes to do. And a huge uh, proportion of what they like to do includes creating contact and getting to the the free throw line. That's not the goal of Kyrie. That's not the goal of Kevin Durant. They may get there by proxy, but they're getting buckets first and foremost. And if I've had one frustration with James Harden over the past like three or four years, because I've loved him, if you know that, if you don't know that, you haven't been listening, but I'm happy you're listening now. It's that when he drives sometimes, he looks for the foul first and then tries to finish. Try to finish and take the foul. You know, that's what KD's doing. That's what Kyrie does. Try to finish, take the foul. Don't try to get fouled and hope to finish. Joel does that. James does that. They need to figure that out. Otherwise, it can be another second-round exit for the Sixers, and God forbid they run into the Nets in round one. Sixers fans going to be real, real sad. <laughs> real, real sad. But there's time. 
And this ain't it on this rivalry. I can't wait to see it going. Can't wait to see KD play more hoops. Can't wait to see if Harden and Embiid can figure it out, man. Because I'm not rooting against them. But I got to be honest, Thursday night, maybe I was a little bit. So let's get into it, people. Let's talk about the New York Knicks. And we're not going to talk about Duke, but we're going to talk about a Duke product. Like I said, you have to wait till next week for the more specific college basketball conversation. But watching R.J. Barrett over the past couple weeks, specifically since he got back from that little injury when he was playing in final uh, minutes of a game that didn't matter, now he's back. I've been watching this man play on pure attack mode, purely just going at people, at their chest, to the rim, taking good jump shots. And I'm not going to sit here and say he's been the most efficient NBA player over his last 12 games, but he is proving a whole lot to me and to all the fans out there who had hopes in him and to his haters, right? Because it's kind of equal there. For everybody who's rooting for him, you want to see it and you want to see it come to fruition and it actually happened in front of your eyes where he's getting closer and closer to being one of the top two guys on a true contender. But for all the haters out there too who said he wasn't skilled enough, who said the jumper wasn't good enough, who maybe didn't love him coming out of college because some of his teammates might have gotten more hype. He's proven a lot to me. And it starts and ends with his demeanor and his motivation. I said this when he was drafted. I've said this many times since. I've said it every single year in the preseason when we lead up to his next season. Now we're in season three. And what I see with this guy is somebody who consistently is adding more to his game. Looking like he's putting in the work in the offseason and adding his right hand around the rim. He's adding jump shots from different angles. He's adding the ability to shoot off the dribble. And it's coming to fruition. It's coming to life. There's something that's so obvious about R.J. Barrett when you watch him, and it's that he cares. And that's his number one attribute as a basketball player, is that he wants to be great. You can tell with the demeanor that you see in his face on the court, with his attitude in post-game press conferences. And when I say attitude, I mean positive attitude. The willingness to get better attitude. The unacceptance of bad, of, of bad basketball and failure. That's what's making him great. He's not as talented as some of the other players out there, and it's not going to matter over time as he continues to get better. His decisions can get better still, obviously, but they're getting better. His playmaking is increasing. His defense is very solid. And he's truly the silver lining of this team. Now, I went through and compared him to some players that I think are realistic options for him to grow into. And he's on a really good track. Now, before I do get into that and highlight some of the positives that I've loved from R.J. Barrett over the past couple weeks, I have to note a couple things first. He hasn't been super efficient, and we get that. But there is a level of attack coming from his offensive game that's extremely enticing and extremely motivating for Knicks fans to see him grow closer to being that dude, right? Over the last 11 games for him, six of them were in February. Six of those games in February, he averaged 28 points, six rebounds and four assists. Not the most efficient, 43% from the field, uh, 39%. I'm sorry, that's actually, that's very efficient. 43% from the field, 39% from three. Moving on to March is where the efficiency has fallen off in the last five games. However, 
He's still at 24, 7, and 5. The last five games, 24, 7, and 5, and he's uh, at 40% and 31%. That's where the efficiency drops a little bit, but the free throws have come around, where he was shooting pretty poorly from the free throw line uh, in those six games in February. Now he's up to 85% in March. So we'll take that as a positive, and we'll take this lower shooting stretch, uh, and we'll see where it goes to end out this season, right? The one negative I would say is sometimes seems like he's a little bit too focused on getting to the rim, and those passes that he can make are coming a second too late, right? And that's really my nitpick with him right now is that he's very laser-focused and motivated to get some buckets and to get to the rim and create havoc and create pressure on the defense, right? That some of the passes that I know he can make that I do see are coming a second too late. And I think that's something that comes with more time of him being in that role of being the lead attack man to being that guard, that wing-type player who could have the ball in his hands, finish possessions by himself, but also set up his teammates. Right, so I don't want to sit here and say like it's all positive, it's all beautiful with R.J. Barrett. It's mostly beautiful. It's mostly positive with R.J. Barrett, but you have to mention some of the other things, right? So with that being said, his total numbers to this point for the season, he's sitting at just under 20 points per game. He's at 19. He's got six rebounds a game and three assists. Now, the assist number is something I would love to see at four, four and a half, but I think it's coming. I think it's on the way. And with the lack of continuity that existed in the backcourt for the New York Knicks this year, I think it's really fair to look at him and understand that there wasn't really growth in that department. With the Kemba Walker experiment got bad, that didn't help. With Derrick Rose being in and out of the lineup early and then out of the lineup basically for the rest of the go, that didn't help. Yeah, Emmanuel quickly, who's trying to be a point guard, who wasn't really set up for success there, wasn't honing his skills as a true facilitator, trying to do so, that taking away from R.J. Barrett. And now Quick is being more of that scoring guard off the bench in the past couple games, and we're seeing positives there, right? So 19-6-3 for R.J. Barrett. I want to see those assists get up, but over the course of his career, there has been constant improvements. As I mentioned before, that was always the expectation with him. It was always expected to see him get better every single year at specific skills and overall as a basketball player. And watching him right now, it feels real, okay? So here are five other players that I thought about who had similar trajectories to R.J. Barrett, who had similar outputs to R.J. Barrett, and realistically have similar ceilings to R.J. Barrett. Now, maybe one or two of these guys have a ceiling that I think might be a bit higher, but we didn't believe that at this point of where RJ is because these guys are all a little bit older. They've been in the league a little bit longer. So the first guy that came to mind with me, and he's somebody that people have cited in the past as a, a good growth opportunity guy, it's Paul George. Paul George was this rangy wing player who came in the league as a little bit of a raw offensive player. He had some ability to get to the rim. He clearly had uh, the makings of a jump shot, but it wasn't legit yet. He shot under 30% his rookie year from the three-point line. R.J. Barrett had a good shooting, uh, three-point shooting season last year. Rookie year, not so good this year. Right into the middle of that 36% range, right? But Paul George averaged eight points off the bench mostly his rookie year. Earned his chops as a defensive player. Comes in in year two, gets up to 12 points. Still a defensive player first, 
on a very good Pacers team as they became a sort of juggernaut, a Jace team in the Eastern Conference. And by year uh, three, Paul George is making an all-star team. Now, that didn't happen for R.J. Barrett. He could have been on the cusp, but let me say this. That Pacers team was winning games. They were in the running, and they were going toe-to-toe with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, right? So that really, really helped Paul George's stature as a 17-point-per-game guy to make that first all-star team. Think about this. If the Knicks were the team we expected them to be this year, which was a five through seven or eight seed, they had a positive record, they were winning more games, and R.J. Barrett was at 19-6-3, there's a much greater chance that that leads to an all-star appearance. Nah, he wasn't an all-star this year. Don't think he deserved it. He didn't get it. We're right where we need to be. Just wanted to put that note in that he's close. So if you don't think he's even close to an all-star caliber player, if the Knicks were winning games, he would have had the buzz. He would have had some more votes. So I think he's at the door scratching, knocking, clawing, and it's not going to be too long before he does make his first all-star team. And it might be next year or the year after when this team can figure out how to win some more games, but he's getting there. And when the attack mode continues, he might be able to continue to grow like someone like Paul George did. Into his fourth year, he had 21 points, seven rebounds, three and a half assists. So to this point, that's who he became. A 20-point-per-game scorer, a six-rebound guy, three-and-a-half to four assists. R.J. Barrett can 100% be that dude. I will caveat, of course, even though this was just 10 years ago when Paul George was breaking into the league, it was a slightly different league, right? He was taking just five to six threes a game there. For example, Paul George in 2018-19, his nearly MVP level season, pretty much his best year of his career. He was taking almost 10 threes per game. Uh, or this year before he got hurt, eight threes per game, right? So the game is different. R.J. Barrett, for reference, takes a few more at this point in time. He's at um, six threes per game right now in his third year, and he's popped up one per since his rookie year. So he was three and a half, four and a half. Now he's at 5.7 per game. So that's the trajectory he's going, and it makes a whole lot of sense. Obviously, Paul George had the injury where he broke his leg in that Olympic game. Took him a year and a half, basically, to get back to normal. Ever since then, he never looked back. 23 points, 23 points, 22, 28 in that season in Oklahoma City. I was talking about 21, 23, 25. Basically, once Paul George hit that threshold where he earned 16, 17 shots per game, where he earned the ability to shoot six to eight threes per game, he has been a 26 and four guy who plays good defense who's maybe not the lead facilitator on a team, but can be for stretches as we saw him take over in playoffs last year. And I think Paul George is a guy who we look at who has a higher ceiling than R.J. Barrett, but the reality of what Paul George has been and the growth and trajectory that Paul George took to get there is a very realistic comp for R.J. And, you know, I don't know all NBA level, which Paul George has been in his career. That's a tough ask for R.J. Barrett. It really is, based off of what I'm seeing over the course of his first three years. But with the trajectories on, which is my whole point here, it is actually realistic. So let's move on to our next guy. C.J. McCollum, drafted in 2013, didn't play much his first year, hardly played a little more his second year, 
So he almost got to throw that out the door. So he took a little more of an unprecedented leap in year three because he went from playing 15 minutes per game off the bench, averaging seven points, to playing 35 minutes a game and jumped up right to 20 points. CJ, where RJ is a little more physically gifted, CJ was a little bit more skillfully gifted when it comes to touch and jump shooting. But another guy who, if he was not in the Western Conference perhaps from 2015 to 2020, may have made an all-star team or two, right? Another important thing to throw out here. But basically, once he hit that 20-point threshold and earned 17, 18, 19 shots per game, he's been a 20, 23, 24-point-per-game guy. Currently, in, in New Orleans, I mean, he's taking 20 shots per game, twenty, and he's making 27 points. You know, that's a long ways away. CJ McCollum's 30. He's been in the league for a while, and RJ's a long way away from that, right? But he's a guy who has been able to grow with his role. He has been able to be a more relied upon offensive player. And he's not the wing or defender that RJ is, but from a trajectory standpoint, a guy who figured out his niche on offense. He was never the lead facilitator, but he could be. He wasn't just a spot-up shooter, but he could be. And that's something that RJ has to figure out is where to be a spot-up guy to catch and shoot and knock down and where to be a secondary uh, playmaker off the catch and then mix in those opportunities to bring the ball up and be a true facilitator where, you know, CJ's not a guy who averages seven, eight assists a game. But it's not bizarre to see him hit seven, eight assists a game because he averages five, and that's the type of threshold that he plays within where he's making quick decisions, smart decisions constantly. The next guy who came to mind for me is Victor Oladipo. And this one I think is really, really good. And we know what's happened to Victor Oladipo over the past two seasons with the injuries. He hasn't been right. So if you're thinking about Oladipo uh, in Miami, last year he played four games. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't count. It's not what we're talking about. Uh, Even the year before that, partially with Houston, partially with Indiana, totaled only uh, 29 games. I'm sorry, that was all last year. Dude, I threw that off. Indiana, Houston, Miami, all last year, 33 games total. I mean, you know, we can't. We can't really put too much stock into it. He wasn't truly healthy for most of it. He averaged technically 20 points per game for Indiana and Houston, but we're not we're not even going to talk about that specifically, right? So Victor Oladipo is a guy who came in, number two pick in the draft, 14 points per game, defender, four rebounds, four assists, a little bit of do-it-everything, but not enough. He was a master of none, and that's almost what RJ felt like a year ago, two years ago where it was like, eh, is he a two? Is he a three? Can he facilitate? Is he just a scorer? Do we put him in the corner? What do we, what do, we do with him on offense, right? Uh, he can defend, so he's earning minutes. But where does he fit in the offensive flow? And all of a sudden, after that year in Oklahoma City for Victor Oladipo, which was in year four, he saw Russell Westbrook, and he didn't really get a chance to get super-duper involved because we know how Russell Westbrook plays, and that's just not how it goes goes back to Indiana, all of a sudden, explosion. Year five, his shots go up from 14 shots per game, which was his career high, or 15 shots per game, which was his career high, up to 17, 18 shots per game because Indiana needed him. 
and he had the ability to shoot the three ball at 36 to 37%. And he had the ability to pass the ball and facilitate four assists per game. He made his first all-star team. 23 points, five rebounds, four and a half assists. Extremely possible statistical goal for R.J. Barrett that I can see happen as quick as next year. Now, things happen over the course of time. If all of a sudden the Knicks bring in a legitimate star player, and I'm not trying to throw shade at Julius Randle, but I'm talking about a guy who's even clearly better than Julius Randle, that could hurt the stats of a guy like R.J., but I don't see R.J. taking a back seat in this offense anytime soon. I'm seeing a guy who's more and more empowered every single game. And whether it's Tom Thibodeau empowering him or it's R.J. Barrett taking the bulls by the horn and doing it himself and saying, I am attacking constantly and nobody's going to stop me except myself. I don't know the answer to that, but either way, I don't see R.J. all of a sudden dropping down from 17 shots and now he's going to be a 12-shot guy, 15 points. I think he's going to break through that 20-point threshold next year if he doesn't get there already by the end of this season and never look back. Victor Oladipo, he actually turned back a little bit, but that's when the injury started. So after that 75-game season where he made his first All-Star team, he came in hot, made another All-Star team in 2018-19, but only ended up playing 36 games when the injury happened, and the rest kind of hasn't been the same for Victor Oladipo, but that trajectory, again, what we're talking about here by Vic was special from 16 to 23 in year four to five RJ even ahead of that mark this next one's a little bit of a stretch because I think stylistically it almost hurts your brain to imagine these two players as similar but hear me out for a minute here and I think it might make more sense than you even think because everybody thinks of Devin Booker as a crazy knockdown shooter this guy who's stretching the floor, who's doing all these things from deep when it's just not true. In fact, over the past four years, here are Devin Booker's three-point shooting percentages. He was 32.5% on six attempts, 35 on less than six attempts, 34 on less than uh, six attempts, and now this year he's back up to seven attempts and shooting 37%, which is his best mark since... 2017-18, right? His third year in the league. So Devin Booker, even though so many people think of him as a shooter, and he is a shooter, he is much more willing and efficient in the mid-range, and he's one of those few players in the league who is really efficient there and should be encouraged to continue to take elbow, elbow extended, pull-up jumpers off the dribble, right? So that's where they differ, where Devin Booker is clearly way more comfortable off the dribble shooting. Uh, But other than that, they actually are a lot more similar. They're secondary playmakers and facilitators, and they are decent outside shooters, solid outside shooters at times, right? And where R.J. Barrett may be a little bit better getting inside and finishing, Devin Booker's damn good in there too, right? We're thinking about Devin Booker in year six, seven, eight, not years one, two, three, okay? So in year one, Devin Booker off the bench for the most part, maybe started, uh, started halfway through the season, 14 points per game, you know, just two and a half rebounds, two and a half assists. That was his rookie year, and then made a leap on a bad team, had all the possibilities, all the opportunities to grow with a bad team, to get his shots up, up to 22 points. He was taking 18 shots a game. 
Then he's at 25 points on 19, 26 points on 19 and a half shots a game. He had a bad team around him. He had a situation where he was able to fail constantly and grow constantly as an offensive player. And while he upped his points from 14 to 22 to 25 to 26 to 26, he also was able to up his facilitation game where he got up two and a half to three and a half to four and a half to six and a half. Right. And now that Chris Paul's there, yeah, some of his facilitation has taken a little bit of backseat, but he settled in at four and a half assists. So you can think about Devin Booker right now and say he's completely different. He's in a different stratosphere. He is not even close to R.J. Barrett because, well, I should say R.J. Barrett's not even close to Devin Booker. And I think most people would say, yeah, obviously, not close. Devin Booker is so much better than R.J. Barrett. It's not even discuss- What are you even talking about, right? But um, think about the trajectory and the impact that Devin Booker had on his team over the first couple years of his career where it wasn't really there. The defense was meh. RJ's got him in that category. The shooting, although it's what we see and what we hear being so amazing for Devin Booker, the numbers didn't always follow up those ideas. RJ Barrett may not be as sexy as an offensive scorer, but from a skill standpoint and from an ability to put up number standpoint, they actually could end up being more similar than anyone wants to admit. Because we're thinking about a Devin Booker who's made three straight all-star teams. We're thinking about a Devin Booker who made it to the NBA Finals last year with the help of Chris Paul and a very, very strong Phoenix Suns roster right now, right? R.J. Barrett could be on that trajectory. I ain't talking about the finals part of everything, right? But I'm talking about what Devin Booker was able to to do to change his narrative. Unfortunately, had a lot to do with the team around him because up until the Suns won game, won a lot of games last year, People weren't banging the drum for Devin Booker saying, oh, he's a no-brainer all-star. Oh, he's an all-NBA candidate. Oh, this guy can be a number one. In fact, it was the opposite. And R.J. Barrett will have to deal with those same exact things if the Knicks can't get right, if they can't get a running mate for R.J., if they can't find a stable point guard. But all those things aside, no matter if the Knicks figure those things out or not, I expect a 20 Five and four output from RJ, no matter what. And I think in, in the future, he can get up to the 23-24 range. And that makes him damn similar to a guy named Devin Booker. Maybe you'll lose a little bit of the smoothness and ability to create for yourself, and you gain a little bit on defense. Impactful-wise, I see him being as impactful as a guy like Devin Booker. Now, lastly, is a guy like Jalen Brown. That's my last comparison here for RJ Barrett. Trajectory-wise, similar-ish to what RJ has accomplished over these first three years. Uh, Jalen Brown's in his sixth season now, and he only had six points per game his, his rookie year, didn't start more than 20 games, then up to 14, 13, and then boom, big-time leap to 20 now. The situation that Jalen Brown was playing in was very different. They had big-time scorers on the team when he was in his first couple years. Isaiah Thomas obviously had his crazy year with Jalen Brown in there. Jason Tatum kind of took the lead as a young scorer on that team, you had the likes of Gordon Hayward and Kyrie there for a little bit. You had Al Horford. You had a very different system that Jalen Brown had to fit in around rather than the Devin Booker route where he was able to make all those mistakes, take all those shots, and grow in a different manner. So it took him a little bit longer to get there. But once he hit that 20-point threshold 
that I keep talking about with all these players uh, from a comparison standpoint, he ain't never looked back. In 2019-20, the 2019-2020 season, he got up to 15 and a half shots per game, which got him to 20 points per game, six rebounds, two assists. He's since upped those assist numbers to three and a half, which has actually been a huge increase for him where he started under one, had two seasons in a row, one and a half, one and a half, 2.1. Now, boom, he's up to the three and a half. I think he actually can get that up to the four and a half mark. It depends on what happens with their point guard situation. There's a lot of mouths to feed in Boston and his mouth is mostly getting fed with buckets at this point in time, not the facilitation, but it's really what they're asking of him. I don't think it says as much about their ability, uh, about his ability. Jalen Brown, when he got up to 24 points per game in uh, last season, he made his first all-star team. He didn't make it this year, but he's in that range. He's right there. And if the Boston Celtics weren't having such a crap year, Jalen Brown's an all-star again, right? Like if they are where they are in the standings now at the all-star break, Jalen Brown was an all-star this year. And it's unfortunate that's how it works, but that's how it works. Right? There were some people who didn't want to have Jason Tatum on this year's All-Star team, despite some of his numbers being just silly because he's Jason Tatum. But that's how this thing works. right? So R.J. Barrett can fall into this trap of the Knicks being a poor franchise. But I think he's one of those guys that he's going to break through, and it might be over the next couple weeks. I think it is going to be over the next couple weeks. He scored over 20, uh, a ridiculous amount of games in a row at this point for him. It's been a, one of the best stretches of his career, and I expect it to continue, right? So what happens with him over the next couple years is unfortunately dependent on what happens with the New York Knicks overall as an organization and how much help he gets. That changes how much love he gets around the league and by fans alike. But I'm expecting a guy who's going to be 20 points per game six rebounds, four assists for the next 10 years. And that is the true silver lining of this Knicks season. When Tom Thibodeau was hired just two years ago, I went on Instagram and whatever and posted my video, my reaction, and I said that I don't think Tom Thibodeau's the answer forever. I don't think he's going to bring the Knicks team to the promised land. But I do think he's going to teach us a few things about our roster. We're going to learn what players are there for business and there to be serious and who are the true cornerstones of this franchise. And we already learned that guys like Frank Nilakina ain't going to cut it and that Kevin Knox didn't cut it. But a guy like RJ Barrett who responds to Tom Thibodeau's crazy mind and responds to his, him being a constant hard ass, he can cut it. That's a guy in our corner for years to come. That's a guy who can play with Julius Randle, who can play with the next star, who will benefit from having a true point guard on this roster one day. And all in all, he'll just continue to grow. And when Tibbs is gone, he's going to keep working. You can guarantee it because he's proven it now. A couple, two different coaches in his, in his tenure here with the Knicks, and he's getting better every single year. He's going to keep doing it. Right now, he has scored over 20 points in... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine out of his last 11 games. He's right there, folks. R.J. Barrett, the silver lining of this season for the Knicks, along with a guy I have to give a shout-out to. Mitchell Robinson has looked phenomenal. 
I hope he's healthy because he's had a little weird thing with dehydration or not feeling that good lately. But Mitch is a dude, and Mitch is seriously impactful out on that court lately. And I'm loving what I'm seeing out of Mitch. I'm loving what I'm seeing out of RJ. And even though this season is pretty much a joke for most of it and was pretty ugly, we're walking away with a couple things. The most important being that we have a cornerstone. And tell me he's not 1A, fine. Might not be. But you need a 1B on a team. You need a number two on a team. And I expect him to be in that conversation for the next 12 years. RJ, keep it up, brother. I can't wait to see you keep getting better. So that's all we got for today. My name is Peter Kennedy. Thank you so much for listening. As always, Subway Sports Talk on Apple Podcast app. Spotify now on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review on the podcast apps. And don't forget to subscribe, turn on notifications on the YouTube uh, videos, on the channel, on whatever Subway Sports Talk. And something that'd be really helpful, you know, if you're watching a video on YouTube, throw a little comment down, right? You're watching me right now. You're saying, all right, this guy, is he done yet? RJ Barrett, we get it. 20 points again. If you can just say something like this, oh, Pete, good job. Or, Hey, Pete, RJ is going to be this. RJ is going to make three all-star teams. I, no, I think that the Paul George comp is actually pretty good. I think the Devin Book comp sucks. Whatever you want to say, type it up down there. I appreciate it. It helps the page grow. So shout out to y'all as always, man. Subway Sports Talk. Get on the wave now. As, as a good friend of mine, Coach Rocco Del Puri, you may have seen his video, I don't know, over here, somewhere over there, on this YouTube page. You're either on the train or you're on the tracks. So, Subway Sports Talk, y'all. It's a little intense for this, but uh, I don't know. See you guys later. Thanks for listening.